He's Hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But, uh, but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for oh, a touchdown. Come. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Tuesday night to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. And ladies and gentlemen of Jacksonville, Florida, let me ask you a question. Where else would you rather be on a cold night in early January from 10 o'clock to midnight than right here with Dylan Denmark and yours truly? And we certainly appreciate you staying up late with us. We got a lot to get into. We got some NFL football, some Jaguar football, some college football, the playoff games yesterday, nothing short of sensational, a little NBA talk, and a little high school football talk here with you over the next two hours. Guest lineup looks like this. Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union comes up in less than 15 minutes as we will look back on the Jaguars win over Carolina and look ahead to the season finale, what is basically a must-win game for Jacksonville in Nashville against the Tennessee Titans. And we will also have Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. As we'll look back on both semifinals yesterday, and we'll look back on what I thought was an awful day for college football on Saturday at the Orange Bowl. That was not a football game. That was a sign to college football that they need to change what they're doing at the end of the year. So we'll get into all that. Certainly glad you're with us. Happy New Year. Hope your holidays went well. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night. And Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. You know, sometimes we make football a little too complicated, right? We in the media, you, the diehard, passionate Jaguar fan base. Sometimes the analytics and the numbers and the next-gen stats and everything, we just get all caught up in it, right? At the end of the day, if you tackle the opponent, if you don't turn the ball over, and if you play smart, sound football, it may not be glorious. It may not be a lot of fun to watch. It may be downright boring. But if you do it well enough, you're going to end up with a 26-0 victory over an inferior opponent. And that is exactly what the Jaguars did. They had lost four in a row. They probably hit rock bottom against Tampa Bay. I thought Christmas Eve was the worst performance the Jaguars have had the entire year. And they go back to basics, and they do this with a backup quarterback in C.J. Beathard. No Zay Jones, no Christian Kirk. Jamal Agnew gets injured before halftime. There was a lot going wrong for the Jaguars. But they stuck to basics. It's a talented team if they don't shoot themselves in the foot, if they don't do things they're not supposed to do, and if they take care of business. And they did all three of those on Sunday. 
Look, I think Beathard threw for like 178 yards. Very pedestrian numbers in today's NFL. He ran for a couple, but he protected the football. No fumbles, no interceptions, didn't put the ball in harm's way. The Jaguar defense was unbelievably good. Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker were nothing short of phenomenal. And the Jaguars end a four-game losing streak by absolutely beating the crap out of Carolina. And that now puts the Jaguars at 9-7 and seven, and in the same situation that they were a year ago. Beat Tennessee, and you are a division champion. More on that in a moment, and we'll certainly talk a lot more about the Jaguars and the Titans beginning tomorrow on Hacker After Dark. But I did want to single out two guys from the, from the Jaguar win. Two players in Jacksonville's victory on Sunday made history. Evan Ingram, only the second Jaguar player ever to have 100 catches in a single season, joining Jimmy Smith, who did it twice. Evan Ingram now on a list of fewer than 10 tight ends ever, ever in the history of the NFL that have had 100 catches in a single season. You want to talk about the great free agent signings in Jaguar history? You talk about my buddy Leon Searcy. You talk about the mayor of Saxonville, Calais Campbell. There have been some great ones. Street free agent Jimmy Smith, obviously. Keenan McCardell was a free agent. Evan Ingram's on that list. In two short years, Evan Ingram is absolutely in the conversation for one of the best free agents the Jacksonville Jaguars have ever signed. He has been fantastic. And on the defensive side of the ball, Josh Allen, he has his naysayers. He had people that questioned him. I was one of them. I'm not going to throw stones in a glass house, but you could argue that Josh Allen right now in 2023 this year has had the best season of any Jacksonville Jaguar defensive player in team history. Has the single season sack record 16 and a half sacks. 16 and a half. Breaking Calais Campbell's previous mark. Josh Allen has been absolutely terrific in 2023. And again, I don't know if there's a Jaguar defensive player in nearly the 30-year history of this franchise that has had a better season than Josh Allen is having right now. So Josh Allen on defense, Evan Ingram on offense, tip of the cap to both of you gentlemen because you are terrific. Great years, great teammates, and I'll tell you this, Evan Ingram got his money last year. You better bet your bottom dollar that Josh Allen is going to get his money this offseason here in Jacksonville. 641 on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. The other big deal of the night, and I'll get more into this in about mm, 35 minutes or so when we have Brent Beard coming on. I thought Saturday was an embarrassment for college football. You have the Orange Bowl in South Florida. The Orange Bowl. You think about the prestige of that game. Number five, Georgia. Or I guess number five, Florida State. Number six, Georgia. 
going at it. Combined records of 25-1. and In our area, the four teams we cover, Florida, Miami, Florida State, Georgia, that should have been a huge deal. 10, 15, 20 years ago, it would have been a huge deal. On Saturday, it was nothing short of a scrimmage between a varsity and a junior varsity. It was pathetic. It was sad. I, you know, even if you're a Gator fan, a Gator supporter, and you're programmed to hate Florida State, how do you really take joy in what happened to the Seminoles? They were without 30 guys. 30! I, I mean, there isn't a football team on this planet, high school, college, or pro, that can be without 30 guys and, com- and field a competitive team. And these weren't backup players. They were Florida State's best players. Jordan Travis, injured. Keon Coleman, opted out. Johnny Wilson, Trey Benson, uh, Jared Verse. Go on down the line. It's where we are in college football. I don't fault these players for opting out or going in the transfer portal. That is their prerogative. That is their right. But college football, you and the greed and and the income and the finances and everything that's going on now with your sport has made bowl games an absolute joke. Bowl games are a joke. They're no longer fun to watch outside the playoff. They're no longer entertaining, save one or two. I happen to think the Gator Bowl had the best bowl game of the bowl season that was not in the playoff. The Gator Bowl was good. Clemson and Kentucky actually cared. But Florida State, your season ended when the committee did not pick you on that selection show on the first Sunday morning of December. Your season was over. And Mike Norvell, man, he tried to rally him. He tried to get him fired up. The guys didn't care. And whether they boycotted the game or there's some talk about guys that would have played had they lost the ACC championship game, but because they were, you know, ripped off by the committee, they decided not to. Whatever the reason is, and I don't blame Florida State. I blame college football. You did this. You have turned the Bulls into a joke. I don't know why anybody would ever go to a game like that in South Florida ever again. What a complete and total waste of time. What a waste of time for sponsors and media and everybody involved in that 63-3 ridiculously awful, disgusting situation that college football has put themselves in. And to Kirby Smart's credit, he took no glory in beating them by 60. One of his first comments in the press conference after the game was that college football needs to figure this out. This is a joke. This is embarrassing. And he's right. This is what you've turned bowl games into with NIL and the transfer portal and opt-outs for the draft and everything that goes on in the month of December. If you're not in the playoff, we have deemed these bowl games completely and totally meaningless. And it's a shame because I remember growing up the Citrus Bowl, the Outback Bowl, certainly the Cotton, Fiesta, Rose, Orange, Sugar, Gator, you name it. These were big deals, man. These were important games. These were games you look forward to. And that is one of the victims of where we are now in college football because these games mean nothing. 
Orange Bowl. The Orange Bowl was 63-3 because one of the teams had 30 guys that decided not to play. How can it be fixed? How can it be remedied? Well, that's for guys that are smarter than me. That's for guys that make the big bucks in these conferences and with the NCAA. But they need to do something because that was an embarrassment for the sport on Saturday, having nothing more than a glorified scrimmage between the essential varsity and junior varsity after Florida State's roster was left in shambles after 30 of their guys decided not to play in that game. 641-1010, again on the text line, designed by Lifetime Enclosures. More college football coming up with my friend Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. That is about 30 minutes away. Coming up next, Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. Let's talk Jaguars. Let's talk the win over Carolina. Let's look ahead to Tennessee, and let's talk injuries, where they stand, what to expect going into a must-win season finale on Sunday in Nashville. Again, Happy New Year, everybody. Hacker After Dark on a Tuesday with you till midnight. It's our late-night show here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Titans, Sunday, 1 o'clock up in Nashville. You'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. A win for the Jaguars means a second straight AFC South championship. A loss for the Jaguars more than likely means the end of their year. Yeah, I know a couple of things could happen and they could squeeze in at the seven spot, but that is certainly not what we want to see on Sunday. With that, let me welcome in Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. He does a terrific job covering the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he's with us here on 1010XL. Demetrius, Happy New Year, my friend. How are you? Happy New Year. I'm doing okay. How about yourself? We are good. The Jaguars are good. Demetrius, after four losses in a row, including what looked like rock bottom against Tampa on Christmas Eve, they come back, they play an inferior Carolina team, but they just dominated 26 nothing with C.J. Beathard as the starting quarterback. What were your takeaways from the game on Sunday? Yeah, I thought um, I thought it was really impressive. I, I, I really did because the last four games, you know, the Jags have just been, you know, killing themselves. You know, they, they, they've been committing penalties. They, they, they've been dropping passes. They've been turning the ball over. And then, to, you know, on Sunday you, you're able to finally see what it looks like when the Jaguars don't commit those silly penalties. They don't turn the ball over. They, they, they don't miss very many tackles. I believe they only had seven, and they were averaging double digits um, over the last month. So, you know, it, it's, it, it was a sign of, you know, maybe they are, you know, taking to what Doug is preaching. Maybe they are holding each other accountable. And, you know, it's only one game. Um, but but really, you know, during that four game stretch, it was easy for you to come out of that four game or four game losing streak with the thought of, hey, maybe this team just doesn't have what it takes. Maybe they just don't have that extra voice that they need or whatever motivation that they need. So, yeah, I, I thought it was a, a good, clean game. It wasn't very overly impressive in terms of numbers, but it was a solid performance. By no means am I saying C.J. Beathard is Trevor Lawrence. I want to make that very clear so this doesn't end up on Twitter that, oh, Hacker says C.J. Beathard is better than Trevor Lawrence. That's not what I'm saying. But there were a couple of things in particular 
that I thought were interesting. Number one, there was one play where Brian Burns chased Bethard down. Bethard actually gained like five yards on the play. If that's Trevor Lawrence, I think that's a fumble. Because Trevor just does not hold the ball very well when he's running. C.J. Beathard felt it, tucked it away, and kept the ball in the possession of the Jaguars. You know, other than the Agnew 48-yard pass play, they did not go downfield hardly at all, which is fine. You give me five-yard down and outs all day, Demetrius, I'm fine with it with this Jaguar offense. And I hope Trevor kind of looked at that from the sideline and maybe something kind of went off in his head saying, all right, I don't need the 30-yard seam route every time if you're going to give me a six-yard down and out. Yeah, you know, it it, it was an interesting game in terms of, you know, what CJ was able to do. And, you know, he obviously managed the game very well. He was able to complete most of his passes. I think he only had seven incomplete passes on the day. Not very impressive in terms of yards. And then obviously no touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, but what he was able to do is, is is what you're talking about, sort of managing the game, sort of taking the checkdowns when they're there. Um, I do think it is something that Trevor can possibly, you know, looking from the sideline, this is the first time really, um, I, I believe he missed one game due to COVID and, and, and at, at Clemson. But other than that, he hasn't, you know, sat out due to injury before, um, especially in the regular season and in crunch time. So this is a moment where, you know, Trevor can sort of sit back and take a look at what CJ is able to do and maybe take a couple things from him. But I don't think that uh, Trevor's going to necessarily change his game, change how he plays. Uh, he knows that he can't fumble, and, and and I do agree with you. I thought that CJ did a great job of protecting the football. There were a couple of times in the pocket, I believe he got sacked, um, and I thought he was going to fumble. And I think it was only because of uh, Trevor's performances before. You know how when whenever he takes a, a hit like that in the pocket, he doesn't really necessarily see. Uh, he can lose track of the ball. So you know, I I did think it was a good performance by CJ and something maybe Trevor can sort of take from. Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. Demetrius, I don't think this is a coincidence. There's a big number now. Two and six. That's the record the Jaguars have when Cam Robinson does not play. They are now seven and one when Cam Robinson plays. I mean, if that's a coincidence, that's a crazy coincidence. What's your thought on that? Um, I do think it's a coincidence, but, you know, I, I do like the stat in, in, in the sense of, I I think that it's whenever Cam Robinson is healthy, whenever the, the, the offensive line has that stability, it does give them a sort of boost. You know, obviously, you know, on Sunday you could see that sort of edge um, you weren't necessarily seeing from the Jaguars' offensive line. And I think that that's something to do with what Cam can bring and, 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 and how he sort of influences them. You know, um, I, I don't necessarily think that, you know, just because Cam's in there means that, they're going to win or, or, or because he's not, then they're, then they're going to lose. But, you know, it definitely is something to, um, you know, how, how much of a, of, of a better offensive line they are, you know, when they're a complete unit and that's when cam is in, you know, they're able to actually do something. Um, whereas when, when they have to, you know, roll with guys that haven't necessarily played the positions or haven't played together for very long, uh, you'll see the results that, that we've seen over the past month and, and change. It's officially an election year, so I guess it's okay to change my stance on something. Um, Cam Robinson, to me, you got to find a way to bring him back in 2024, do you not? I know his cap figure, Demetrius, is enormous. He can try to restructure, do something, but isn't he the best option the Jaguars have at left tackle for 2024? Yeah, he's sort of the guy where I feel like a lot of people have been trying to replace for years, and, um, you know, he got his extension, and people are like, well, you know, maybe – Maybe they'll only have them for two years or whatever, and, and, and they won't they won't want to re up that contract. But you know, when it 
comes down to it, he's been one of the most consistent players on the team in terms of when he's in there, you know what you're going to get. You know, Walker Little comes in. He does a pretty solid job at left tackle, but you, you it, it, it's not the same. It just feels like it's not the same. There's injuries involved a lot of the time with Walker. Um, you know, I know Cam has dealt with his over the past couple of years, but they, they, they feel more like, you know, he got hit wrong, something like that, rather than soft, soft tissue kind of injuries and things that, that Walker has sort of dealt with over the past couple of years. So, yeah, you know, I, I do think – Hold on, sorry about that. I, I, I do think that, um, you know, Cam coming back is, is something that, you know, for me, I would definitely, you know, keep him. And even though his cap number is, is huge, maybe you even sign him to an extension. I, I, I just don't think that there's any reason to get rid of a guy who's performing uh, at a high level like Cam has been and is. So, so yeah, I completely agree. I think that keeping Cam um, should be something on the table yet again couple of more for Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. Demetrius, it was a huge day for both Josh Allen and Evan Ingram. Josh Allen sets the all-time single-season Jaguar sack record, beating Calais Campbell's mark. Evan Ingram, only the second Jaguar player in history to have 100 catches in a year, and I believe only the eighth tight end ever. That's a crazy number to only to have 100 catches in a year. Boy, Josh Allen and Evan Ingram have been vital to this team this season. Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, if you want to say MVPs of each side of the football, you know, I would say, you know, there's definitely an argument for Evan. You know, obviously Christian Kirk is probably one of the guys you would want to name. But then Josh Allen, I think he's alone on an island uh, for the MVP of the defense this year. You know, 16 and a half sacks. Coming into the season, I I said I think 12, you know, is something I could see. And, and, you know, he's obviously surpassed that and then some. So, yeah, he's had an incredible year, even better than I think any of us could have predicted. And who would have guessed, you know, Tony Baselli said before the season, 25 sacks. I think he said 25 but between both Trayvon and um, and Josh. And, and, you know, they're at 25 and a half. So, you know, I, I think that Josh has been a huge contributor to that. And, then, you know, obviously on, on the other side of the football, Evan – having a hundred catches is, is just incredible. It's something that none of us have ever seen except for, for when Jimmy Smith had done it twice earlier uh, in, in the Jaguars, you know, history. So yeah, it, it's, it's something big. It's something that, that probably won't be done again for a long time unless Evan himself does it. So yeah, it, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's a great achievement. I think that that's why they uh, re-signed him. Yeah. I thought when Baselli threw out that 25 number for Trayvon <laughs> and Josh, I thought he was nuts, but uh, I was oh, wrong. Gosh. Give big Bo credit. He was, uh, he got that one right on the head. All right. Mm-hmm. Sunday up in Nashville two years ago, and there were a lot of Jaguars that were here. A lot weren't, but a lot were about half the roster was here two years ago when the Indianapolis Colts came in last week of the regular season, the Jaguars had nothing to play for. The Colts had everything to play for. And the Jaguars put one on them and knocked Indy out of the postseason. I know the coaching staff wasn't here, but I hope they beat that into the head of the players that were here. That you were the Titans two years ago, and you mm-hmm. ruined the Colts' season. Tennessee talking to Nashville media—that's all they're playing for. Most of them want the team to lose, quite frankly. But if there <laughs> is anything to play for, it is to absolutely ruin Jacksonville's season on Sunday. Oh yeah, I mean, and and if you think that you know Tennessee isn't thinking about that, then you're crazy. You know, especially Mike Vrabel, he knows what the Jaguars did to them last year. I mean, they they beat them in order to get into the playoffs. If the Titans had won that game, they would have been in the playoffs. You know, so so yeah, they 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 probably have a lot of things on their mind, revenge, all that kind of stuff. I, I understand they looked listless last week, um, 
but 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 I also think that you know it's a situation where it, it's it's a week to week league. I mean, yeah, one week Tennessee might be getting destroyed by 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 Houston, but an, another week they might beat Baltimore in Baltimore. You know, it's it's it, it's it's one of those things where you never know. And I think the Jaguars will definitely be on top of it. I think that Doug's going to preach to them like, hey. That team over there is not just, you know, here here to show up and then go on vacation. They're here to ruin your day. They're here to make you go on vacation too. Um, so, absolutely, I think that this team understands that and uh, they're going to have to be up for the challenge. And, yeah, the, there's a few players that were still from that 21 team. I'm sure they can remember, you know, how how good it felt to sort of, you know, kick Indy out of the playoffs, uh, ruin their season, ruin their, their sort of uh, rebuild momentum. So, yeah, it, it's a huge deal, and I think that, uh, something similar could happen if Tennessee beats Jacksonville this weekend. Demetrius, as we start wrapping up, it's still relatively early in the week. The game is still a couple of days off, obviously. But what what are we thinking? I mean, Christian Kirk, his 21-day window is likely to be opened. Um, I, I can't imagine he's going to play on Sunday. I think maybe if they make the playoffs, that's going to be more of a, of a better question next week. Zay Jones, sounded like Doug Peterson was pretty optimistic on him. We still don't really know about Trevor. Even if he goes, will he be 100%? Or did we see enough from C.J. Beathard to, to have question and maybe make the Titans wonder up until kickoff about what's going to happen at the quarterback position? Yeah, it's a lot of confusion um, in terms of injuries going into this week. Uh, Christian Kirk, yeah, you know his his twenty one day window might open on my, or on Wednesday, um, probably will 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 open. But you know that's just something to where, I mean, at least from my vantage point and from what I know, it just feels like something that'll just allow him to get on the field at all. You, you want him to like start getting eased into it, you know. And then if they do win, perhaps he does play that first wild card game but you know you never know you know maybe he comes in and all of a sudden he's he's playing on on Sunday against Tennessee but but you know I I I do think that they are getting healthy at the right time obviously Agnew's injury is is unfortunate it's something uh you don't want to see because he he is such a dynamic player um but you know they are potentially getting Zay Jones back this week as far as Trevor Lawrence is concerned you know we don't really know it sounded like Doug said that um, there was there was no chance of him playing last week, um, but he does seem a little bit more uh, hopeful this week. I think I saw a a report saying that you know Trevor does feel more hopeful than he did last week, and what that means we, we don't really necessarily know. So, um, but but yeah, I, I think that if Trevor can throw and if Trevor can play, absolutely he will play in this game. It, it's a playoff game. You might as well treat this like a wild card game. Um, you know, it's, it's something where it's all hands on deck. So would I be surprised if Trevor plays? Nope. Um, and, or would I be surprised if he doesn't play considering how CJ did look? Uh, not at all, but, but at the same time, I do think Trevor obviously gives you the better chance to win. Absolutely crazy. It's come to this. It was win or go home last year, week 18 against Tennessee and the same exact situation more than likely on Sunday. Demetrius quickly, what's coming up this week at the times union as we get ready for the Titans and the Jaguars. Yeah, I mean, we already got you covered for the playoff scenario stuff. There's a confusing wild card scenario if the Jaguars um, lose. Uh, so I have that already up on the website and in paper. Um, and then obviously, you know, later on in the week, we'll, we'll continue talking about the game and, and sort of have you covered in terms of Trevor. And then I have a Antonio Johnson feature uh, coming out on Saturday, I believe it will be Friday or Saturday. So that should be good. And, and you know, he's a young man who's 
uh, had an incredible you know four game stretch in my opinion in terms of where he was at the beginning of the season with the hamstring and then battling through it working on special teams and now he's basically starting over Trey Herndon in the nickels uh, position so yeah you know something fun something cool and then you know, we'll look forward to the game on Sunday. Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. Demetrius, appreciate the time, man. We'll talk again soon. Absolutely appreciate it. There you go. Demetrius Harvey here with us on Hacker After Dark. Certainly appreciate his time. Jaguars and the Titans on Sunday, 1 o'clock. You'll hear it right here on 1010XL. We will have a fifth quarter for you two hours after the Jaguars and Titans go final. Myself, Leon Searcy, and the head coach, Dave Campo, live at Players Grill in Mandarin on San Jose Boulevard. And I certainly hope we are talking about an AFC South Division Championship on Sunday evening. Coming up in the 11 o'clock hour, every NFL team awards a high school coach of the year for their area. And that coach gets two tickets to the Super Bowl. This year in our area... It's my buddy Brian Braddock, the head coach of the St. Augustine Yellow Jackets down there in St. John's County. We'll have Coach Braddock on to talk about that. We'll also have Bobby Ramsey on. Bobby Ramsey coached Derrick Henry at Uly High School. He coached Mandarin to a state championship back in 2018. And Bobby Ramsey is back in a Duval County public school, recently named the head coach of the Jackson Tigers out on Main Street. So both Bobby Ramsey and Brian Braddock coming up. In the 11 o'clock hour, a little NBA talk with Zach Hanshu of Roto World as well. Coming up next, we'll get back into the world of college football. What a couple of great semifinals we had last night. Michigan over Alabama in overtime. Washington survives Texas 37-31. And now the two unbeatens, Washington and Michigan, will play for a national title next Monday. We'll also talk about the embarrassment that was the Orange Bowl and what, if anything, can be done in the world of college football to avoid a situation like that from ever happening again. My buddy Brent Beard, you see him on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. It is our late show Tuesday night in Jacksonville, Florida with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. College ball with Brent Beard next. 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Tuesday evening, and we are glad you are with us. The national championship in the world of college football is set. Boy, the semifinals were nothing short of outstanding. Michigan over Alabama in overtime. Washington survives a ball into the end zone against Texas. And it's the two unbeatens that are left, Washington and Michigan, for the national title. Let's talk about that and certainly touch upon the local schools with my friend Brent Beard. You see him locally on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, I hope your holidays and your new year went well, my friend. How are you? They uh, they did. Um, I, but I'll be honest with you, I, I look, I've en- I enjoyed the break. I enjoyed uh, – Christmas and celebrating the birth of Christ and uh, uh, having being together with family and then obviously football really set in um, uh, with bowl games and uh, so forth. Uh, the um, 
uh, in backup what you just said, 12 of the first 16 uh, semifinal games decided by 17 points or more, and the last four have been decided by, by one possession. The last three decided on the final play. So hopefully next year we will get that kind of play uh, in the um, – uh, the expanded playoff, which will begin, and and and, and people need to to realize this. Uh, you've got a real break, and and it may be too long, hack, between the first weekend of December and the uh, and the semifinals. Uh, but next year, the semifinals will be on December the twentieth. Uh, so you'll have much less of a break than you do normally, and and. Uh, that will be interesting, uh, Hank, to see how how that helps or hurts the teams involved with it. Yeah, college football, it's changing forever next year. I mean, you're going to have some teams that potentially might play 17 games That's next right. year. Uh, certainly yeah. a lot of teams, almost all of them will play minimum 15 or 16 to get to the national championship game. Brent, I want to talk about the playoff games in a moment, but I want to begin with Florida State. Um, people that have listened to me over the last two plus decades know that there was a time in my life where I had orange and blue goggles on. Although as I've gotten older, I consider myself now an objective broadcast journalist, as you know, very well. Um, so anytime Florida state would lose back in the day, I didn't, you know, shed a tear for them, but I got to tell you something that was not college football in the orange bowl. I'll give Kirby smart credit. And he said it in the post game. College football, you need to decide what you want to do because subjecting those 60 or 65-some-odd kids at Florida State to go out there without 30 of their teammates and get their face absolutely rubbed in the dirt like they did against Georgia, that was pitiful, and I thought that was a bad day for college football. Well, it was, and look, that is a great example of what needs to be done uh, in dealing with bowl games and the overall uh, aspect of what we're dealing with uh, uh, with these opt-outs and bowl games, I can tell you this, these bowl games, now, now look, we are where we need to be. The main focus is the playoff instead of the bowls. And we've had the focus on the bowls for decades now, but, I respect the Bulls enough to agree uh, totally with what Kirby Smart is saying is we can't have bowl games like this every year. And they're going to have to get and look at that. And this is something we can talk about more in the off season: is what does college football do uh, to fix itself uh, over time. But I'll also say this. I am disappointed. It, really, what uh, what I really was hoping to happen, and I know that, that in a lot of ways uh, uh, this is fantasy, but that those Florida State players would have come together and said, "Look, we're going to play one more game, and our and our main goal is to beat Georgia. It's not going to put us in the playoffs, but we've got enough pride in our in, in what we do." And we're going to do that. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. So, certainly, and look, when you really look at it, Georgia had as many missing players as FSU did. Uh, but Georgia obviously dominated the game. Now, and I'll go over this quickly, 
the biggest news for Florida State, obviously, is D.J. Ungleway is going to be their quarterback, coming over from Oregon State, and he was at Clemson. Now, he had a difficult time at Clemson. Then he went to Oregon State. Uh, he had a better year with Oregon State, 21 touchdowns, seven interceptions. But he still struggles with accuracy, not putting enough touch on the ball. But he's going to be the quarterback. Also, Patrick Payton, the defensive end, is coming back. Harris Washington uh, is coming back on the offensive line. Also, Robert Scott on the offensive line is coming back. Uh, so it's important to know that Ja'Kai Douglas uh, is also coming back. And one thing is we thought either Miami or Florida State would get Cam Ward of Washington State. No, he's going to the NFL, uh, and that uh, was uh, and nothing those two schools can do about it. But, boy, would he have been a real pickup if they could have got him. Yeah, he certainly would have. We're here with Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. I agree with you, Brent. Georgia had guys missing that game, too. But Georgia's guys that were missing that game were, by and large, backup guys in the portal looking for greener pastures elsewhere. Florida State's guys were Florida State's guys, right? The guys that really got Florida State to where they were. And I don't know what can be done about it. I really don't. I understand the players' point of view. They don't want to get hurt. If the NCAA is dumb enough to have the transfer portal going on during bowl season, you got to take advantage of that. I don't know what can be done, but for a game – that has the prestige of the Orange Bowl. This was the Orange Bowl, and it was nothing more than a glorified scrimmage for a varsity taking on what amounted to basically a junior varsity without 30 of their main guys. To me, that was an embarrassment for the Orange Bowl. It was. Yeah, I I agree. And look, people may not realize this, but there have been national championship games uh, that they weren't a, that they weren't official, but we knew they were uh, because of the the pole position for both teams played in the Orange Bowl. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt about it. The Orange Bowl, along with what the Sugar and the Cotton in the Fiesta, uh, is one of the big boy bowl games, uh, and it was regulated to uh, uh, a a game that a lot of people just probably turned off. Uh, at halftime, if not the end of the first quarter. So uh, there's a lot of calendar issues here, as you mentioned. Um, so, uh, and, and these are things we will look at, but Florida State now beginning the process, and we can't forget, and we'll get into this more over the next few weeks, Florida State still is determined to get out of the ACC. So we'll know more about that over the next few weeks. And believe me, it's not just Florida State. There are numerous schools in that league trying to get over that grant of rights, which is not going to be easy. Brent, let's quickly go to the playoffs from yesterday. Your alma mater, the Crimson Tide, were winning the game with three and a half minutes to go. Michigan had a fourth and two in their own territory. And give Harbaugh and the Wolverine staff credit. They went for it. They got it done. They ultimately drive down to tie the game. They win it in overtime. I cannot believe that Alabama called a quarterback draw on fourth and four. I don't mind keeping it in Milrose's hands, 
but you got to roll him out, Brent. You got to give him a run yes. pass option. Yeah. You cannot do what they did. That was ridiculous. Um, your thoughts from a point of view of an alum of Alabama that Michigan talked the talk and basically walked the walk yesterday in beating the Crimson Tide. Well, uh, uh, Michigan uh, was the better team, and they were the more physical team. Uh, they do have a tremendous defense, and even though they didn't play a very good schedule, uh, they're, they're certainly for real. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Now, Michigan special teams almost did them in single-handedly. That uh, There were so many things that happened, missed field goals, missed extra points, fumbles on punts, yet returns, uh, and their last punt, punt return nearly turned into a disaster uh, also, I mean, J.J. McCarthy did what he needed to do. Blake Corum did. Uh, the, the, the running back is obviously very impressive. Uh, but to your point, uh, the la- yeah, the last play of the game was atrocious. Uh, that never should have happened. Uh, number one, the offensive line could not hold out Michigan's defensive line. What they should have done was to have – hit a swing pass to either a tight end or a running back, uh, but they did not do that, partly because they had another low snap. The um, uh, the, the, the center quarterback's exchange was an adventure on every play, uh, frankly, and Seth McLaughlin uh, did not speak to the media afterwards of the center, and I understand probably why, but, but – how Alabama could not get that fixed, and that that was a bugaboo for them uh, the entire year. I was impressed with Caden Proctor, the Alabama offensive lineman who tore a ligament in his right ankle last week and played every snap of the game. So uh, Michigan goes on to play a Washington team that is just absolutely incredible. But your point, people who didn't stay up, Texas was thrown in the end zone the last play of the game in order to win the game. But uh, still, the unfortunate thing for Jalen Milrow in this game is he was so good uh, earlier in the year, like against Georgia, uh, but that game showed him regressing in a lot of ways, uh, and he will have to deal with that uh, over the uh, off season, also, but I still thought it was maybe Nick Saban's best coaching job to take this team from where they were at the end of the South Florida and Texas games to winning the SEC title to making the playoffs. So uh, it, it will be a uh, very much a contrast in styles next Monday night. Final moments with Brent Beard. You get him locally on First Coast News. You also hear him right here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, I made the comment a couple of weeks ago, and you're a Heisman voter, and I haven't even told yeah. you this. I said this on the air. It is my my belief, my opinion, that if Michael Penix played in the Southeastern Conference and had the same exact stat line that he had at Washington, that he would have won the Heisman. That's just what yeah. I believe. I believe what yeah. they call it, East Coast bias, whatever you want to call it, because he played out in the Pac-12 at Washington. I don't think people gave him his due. Having said that, last night... Michael Penix just kind of waved to Jaden Daniels a little bit. That was incredible. 
I mean, what, 400-plus yards in a national semifinal to beat Texas. Washington remains undefeated. Michael Penix is a flat-out stud. There's no doubt about it. Now, look, uh, the Texas uh, pass defense is like 95th in the nation. But with that said, uh, I don't care who you are. If you put up almost 500 yards – a passing offense against the neighborhood kids, it's, it's important. Um, but, uh, it, look, people got mesmerized with Jane Daniels, and I understand that. Jane Daniels had a husband trophy-worthy year, but to, to your point, there, heck, I, I, I can guarantee you there will be people watching the national championship game that that will be the first time they've seen Michael Penix. Uh, and and that's a real shame. I'm just telling you, and, and I'm sure you saw this, it, it's just, it was just, I was just awestruck at times. He's got a receiver um, uh, based on the down and out in the middle of the field that he throws a ball that is a low percentage play, but the guy, all he does is, he turns his head, he has his hands out, and the ball, heck, the ball literally falls in his hands. How many, how many guys in the nation can do that? Not many, not many. And Penix was good at Indiana. And, again, kind of the yeah. same thing, was yeah. overshadowed yeah. by everybody in the Big Ten. He transfers to Washington and has absolutely thrived quickly because I want to get a quick note on, on Florida. What's your thought, Michigan and Washington, for the title next Monday? I like I like Washington and Penix um, because here's the difference uh, with Washington. Their offensive line what, doesn't mean you'll be great, but th- their offensive line will win the Joe Moore Award. So if there's anybody uh, with an offensive line that might can neutralize that Michigan defensive line, uh, it may be Washington. It'll be a great game. It'll be interesting to see what the ratings look like in the southeastern part of the it country. Will. It's sure the first will. time in a while that there's not an SEC team there. Is you got Washington out of the Pac-12, Michigan out of the Big Ten. Ironically enough, Brent, this will be the first time these teams play in 2024. It will not be the last, as nope. Washington and Michigan will have a Big Ten conference game in October of 2024. So just amazing where we are in the world of college football. Leave us with this. What do you got on the Gators uh, heading into uh, the new year here? Yeah, yeah. And let me also add to that, uh, if Alabama and Texas would have won, you would have had the same thing in reverse, right? (laughs) Yeah, just craziness. Yeah, it really is. Um, uh, Just some comings and goings. Let me just put these as possibilities, and you can fill in the blanks here. Um, Kim Alexander from Texas San Antonio is supposed to visit Florida. Uh, some other guys, Cassius Howell of Bowling Green, he's an edge rusher. South Alabama safety, Jaden Boyson, uh, he is supposed to be there too. Um, also, uh, Marcus Radcliffe, uh, UCLA defensive back commitment, Western Kentucky, Kendrick Simpkins. Now look, that doesn't mean these guys are not good players because they're from smaller schools, because they are. But again, if people haven't heard, Jalen Kitna, the ex-Gator quarterback, is going to UAB. Uh, Micah McCuzo, 
uh, has transferring. Uh, he's in the portal. Scooby Williams is in the transfer portal. Uh, as of December 31st, Gators have seen 19 players enter the transfer portal from last year's team. So, uh, Hank, uh, to put it mildly, some are going, some are staying. Yeah, and a team like Florida who didn't go to a bowl game, I mean, we're approaching 40 days since the yeah. season ended. We're getting close to mat drills, and we're getting close to what does Billy Napier call really? it? Stage one or whatever of yeah. the calendar year. I'm sure he'll hold a press conference when the January semester starts as the Gators will kind of get back and start reconvening a little bit as a team. But as you mentioned, 19 guys that were on the field 40 days ago are not with the Florida program now as they've entered the transfer portal. You get Brent Beard every week here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, next week we'll be discussing who is the national champion and we'll be looking ahead to an offseason Maybe the craziest offseason we've ever had in college football, knowing what begins in August, a changing of the guard in the sport you and I both love. Well, and look, uh, I love it. I can't wait for it. Uh, People can uh, have no idea yet how this expanded playoff is going to change the sport. But the sport is not perfect. The games on the field continues to save it. But as Hank and I have said throughout this segment, there's got to be uh, uh, some real changes in the December calendar uh, and how we do college football right now through the NIL and so forth. There are, uh, uh, heck, would you say it's a, and, and hopefully they'll do something about it instead of just grappling about it, but there's a lot of work to be done uh, for college football to improve itself. There's no doubt it's imperfect, but we love it, and we talk about it constantly. That's why we love having Brent Beard every week here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, have a great seven days. We'll do it again next Tuesday. Good. You too, bud. Take care. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Christmas and the New Year's are in the rearview mirror, and a lot more eyes now tend to flock towards the NBA. I'm a diehard. I've been here since mid-October, but hard to believe most teams now are at about that 30 to 35 game mark as we are getting very close, believe it or not, to the midway point of the NBA regular season. Let's look at Orlando, Miami, and everything else going on around the association with one of our NBA guys, Zach Hanchu of Roto World, does a terrific job covering the NBA, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Zach, how you doing? Ryan, I'm doing great, brother. How are you, man? Zach, we're good. Hope your New Year's was well for you. And look, Orlando, 16-7, and seems like a while ago. They lost four in a row. They were leaking some oil, but they did turn it around. They got a big victory over the Knicks a couple of nights ago. Uh, Played a hard-fought game against Phoenix and lost by five. But it seems like Orlando might be in this thing for a little bit now, sitting six games over five hundred at the time you and I are talking. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, great win over the Knicks the other night. Um, Two-point game going into the fourth quarter against Phoenix, uh, obviously in their last one out. Um, as you mentioned, under 500 over their last 10. Um, but, I mean, this is still a great-looking team. They're the number four seed in the East right now. Um, 
getting some phenomenal play from Bancaro and from Franz Wagner. Um, still dealing with some injuries, uh, but you know what's new for Orlando Magic basketball. Um, you know they're getting some great play from everybody that's been available. And yeah, this is this is clearly uh, a playoff team uh, right now. And I'm excited to see what they do tonight. Uh, they're on the road against Golden State, and I think I think we can pencil that one in as a win. They have gotten – the schedule they've played has been really hard. I mean, they're done on the West Coast after this stretch. They've already gone out West and played everybody. They've had a lot of games against Milwaukee. They've played Philadelphia. They've played, I believe, three games against Boston. The schedule will ease up. So that what I'm telling Magic fans is, yeah, the struggles, and they, they haven't been as good as they were the first month, but they've had to, Zach, play one of the hardest schedules in the league to this point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, I mean, I think strength of schedule really does speak to just how well this team has played. Uh, you know, like you said, 19 and 13 right now. Uh, they're three games out of that number three seed behind the Sixers. Uh, they're half a game up on the heat for that, you know, number five seed. But I, I think they're going to end up making the playoffs and stay out of that play in tournament. Um, you know, we see Cleveland is dealing with a ton of injuries, Brooklyn and Chicago. Um, they're, they're not going to send into that top six, I don't believe. Um, so the only other team that really might threaten them is going to be the, uh, the new look Knicks, uh, with, with OG and Unibi. Uh, but again, the Knicks have kind of underachieved to this point as well. So I think it's the magic, uh, you know, spot to lose, to get into the playoffs here. Zach Hanchu of Roto world covering the NBA. Zach, you mentioned Wagner and Ben Caro. Uh, one, one, a, whatever you want to call them. They are both dynamic and they're both terrific. And I, I was talking to a buddy of mine over the holidays. They're both 23 years old or younger. And I don't know how many NBA teams have two guys, 23 or younger that have what Ben Caro and Franz Wagner have. No, I, I think they're on a short list of, you know, some of the best young duos in the NBA. Uh, and if you can center your team around those two guys, which is what they're doing right now, um, you know, I think the rest of the pieces, um, you don't necessarily have to hit on some amazing guys. These two guys are going to be your core the rest of the way. Uh, Anthony Black looks like he's going to be somebody that is obviously still raw on offense, but looks like a very capable defender just from what we've seen already. Um, and, and I do think with Markel Fultz missing some extended time, I think that's really been great for Anthony Black's development. Uh, and clearly we know what Jalen Suggs can do as a defender. Uh, you know, sometimes he can get hot on offense. And then you really do have a, I, I think you have a talented group here in the front court. Uh, Wendell Carter, uh, you know, he's been dealing with some injuries. He came back. Uh, he came off the bench the other night, and you had Goga Batadze, who's looked really well as a rim protector. You have Mo Wagner, who can step out and hit some outside shots. Uh, this is just a very well-balanced roster. I think this is a team that can that can make some noise in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. I think Jalen Suggs has taken a big step forward here in year number three. Zach, you mentioned the trade between Toronto and the Knicks, and, and I, I know about uh, OG Ananobi from, from his time, great defensive player. But I got to be honest, man, R.J. Barrett and Quigley in return, boy, I thought Toronto got terrific value there. What was your thought on that trade? Yeah, I, I think I think some people are looking at this as a, you know, as a fleece maybe one way or another. Um, but I think maybe this is one of those rare cases where maybe both teams won. Um, you know, I think uh, O.G. Ananobi, 
phenomenal defender. Uh, he's kind of fallen off. He's had a couple of really great years the last couple in Toronto. Uh, kind of fell off this season. Uh, Toronto is going nowhere fast. Looks like they're they're about ready to kind of blow this up and rebuild, as we saw already. Uh, with this trade and then with Pascal Siakam, uh, you know, likely to be moved before the deadline to a contender. Uh, it looks like they're trying to blow things up. So I think this is a great start uh, for Barrett. I think this is a really great start for Quickly, who has looked phenomenal off the bench uh, and started in his first game with the Raptors. Uh, so this is probably going to be a resurgence for him. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, OG Ananobi, I think this is this is really going to be a great move for them to get a quality three and D guy on the team, uh, which is something that R.J. Barrett just wasn't bringing to the roster. Zach Anchu, Roto World covering the NBA here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Zach, in the Eastern Conference, does it matter what anybody does or is Boston clearly going to take this thing all the way through? Uh, at this point, I don't see a team that's really going to be able to challenge Boston. Um, you know, they're they're on a six-game winning streak right now. They're the only team in the NBA that's undefeated at home, uh, which is uh, pretty remarkable. Um, they're 26-6, and six, best record in basketball. Uh, you know, even when guys are sitting, you have Chris Stapps Porzingis that's missed some games. You have Brown and Tatum that have taken some time off. They had back-to-back last week and ended up winning – uh, both of those games, even with multiple guys sitting out, uh, just because you're getting uh, you're getting tremendous production from Derek White, uh, who has looked like a borderline all-star this season, playing alongside Tatum and Brown. Uh, the addition of Drew Holiday has been great for their defense, and obviously, you know, Porzingis, who I just mentioned, uh, there's a guy that can come out and and drop 30 on any given night. And what's great about this team is they don't need to have all these guys playing every single night. They can take time off. Uh, they can have fresh legs for the playoffs. Uh, Al Horford has been resting at least one game of every back-to-back. So this is a team that I think is going to have, uh, you know, a lot of energy heading into the playoffs. Uh, and and I, I don't see any team out, out east that's going to be able to challenge them. You know, final thought on the Eastern Conference. Uh, Miami's had some injury issues. We know there's uh, teams like Indiana. You mentioned Brooklyn that are okay. We'll see what happens as we get closer to the trade deadline. But how does a team in the NBA in 2023, there's supposed to be parity, and I think there is a fair amount of parity, maybe more so than there has been in years past, Zach. How do you lose 28 games in a row? I mean, is that just an embarrassment on the Detroit Pistons? Is that a league problem? How did something like that happen? Yeah, I, I think that's an embarrassment on the Pistons. Um, poor ownership and and clearly poor coaching. Um, I mean, you had a guy in Alster Thompson who was, I mean, he looked great to start the season. And obviously they were still losing plenty of games when he was in the lineup. Uh, but this is a guy that, you know, he got taken out and uh, essentially had his minutes cut in half uh, when Bojan Bogdanovic returned, um, and just some very funky lineup decisions. Um, obviously, Jalen Duran missing time has not helped, uh, and some other injuries across the roster, but some of these minutes uh, that they've been given to these guys, uh, some of the lineup decisions from, uh, you know, from the coaching staff has just, I, I mean, it's just really been head-scratching. Uh, so I think this is more an embarrassment and an indictment on the organization uh, than it is a league problem, uh, because this team has had multiple uh, multiple lottery picks. They're in the lottery every year. They draft, uh, you know, they draft these really talented guards. Uh, and 
they're just not being developed. They're not being used right. Um, and Thompson is the latest example, uh, you know, from last year. Zach Hanchu of Roto World. Zach, in the time we have left, let's go out west. I watched that Orlando and that Phoenix game. Phoenix is finally healthy. I got to tell you, man, they better stay healthy. They have nothing on that bench because they had to trade away basically everything they had to get Beal. Uh, their starting lineup is as good as you'll find in the league. I'm just worried for their sake. If they have another injury or two, they do not have a lot of depth out there in the uh, Valley of the Sun. Yeah, it has been rough for them this season. Um, I, I think a lot of people, myself included, were, you know, we looked at the off-season moves and said, man, they, they really did fortify that bench. The bench looks a lot better uh, than maybe what it did last season when we were kind of bemoaning, you know, their depth at that time as well. Um, but, yeah, you're exactly right. The bench this season has really not given us very much at all. Um, you know, we've seen Grayson Allen step up in a big time way this year. Uh, obviously a new son, um, Eric Gordon, he came over to the roster as well. He's been great as a scorer, which we know he can do. Um, uh, but everybody else, not really sure who else they have outside of those two guys. And when Bradley Beal isn't available, uh, yeah, they're, they're just running on fumes at that point. So if he can stay healthy, uh, had 25 the other night. Um, him, Booker, and KD, I uh, forget the exact number, 77, 78 points I think they combined for. Um, that big three looked phenomenal against your Magic. Um, and if they, they can all stay healthy, I mean, this is a team that's going to push for a title. Out in, out in the West, other than Phoenix, Zach, I mean, the Lakers have been up and down. They were great in the in-season tournament. They've been average to below average outside the in-season tournament. Denver is very good if – Aaron Gordon will stop getting attacked by dogs. What an interesting story uh, that was. He's going to miss some time with with a dog bite, apparently. Uh, But what's been your take on the West as a whole here at about the midway point of the year? Yeah, it's been interesting out West. Um, You know, we see the Pelicans. They did this last year where they kind of make an early push and then guys start to just, you know, get injured. Uh, So they're another team that I'm keeping an eye on. If they can stay healthy, uh, you know, that's a team nobody wants to face in the playoffs because they are a deep team, unlike Phoenix. Um, Sacramento, uh, they're looking pretty good as well. Clippers are finally back, uh, you know, on a a winning streak. Uh, They've won three in a row, eight and two over their last 10 after a rocky start with James Harden. Um, You know, and, and clearly Denver, they can defend their title, but they look like they are not quite the same team they were a season ago. Um, I'm really interested to see what Minnesota can do the rest of the season. They're the number one seed so far, um, and it hasn't been because of high scoring. Uh, Obviously, Anthony Edwards having a career season, uh, but Minnesota's defense uh, has been the best in basketball through 32 games. So I'm really interested to see if they can keep that up. Um, and, you know, maybe make good on that Rudy Gobert trade that I think a lot of people uh, thought was a bust last year, and it's looking a lot better now. Final moments, Zach Hanchu of Roto World. Zach, uh, biggest surprises team-wise, biggest disappointments? Would you say, what, Minnesota in the West is the biggest surprise? Maybe Orlando in the East? What's your thought there? Yeah, I I think Minnesota is the biggest surprise. Um, You know, I think we all kind of thought they would be a little bit better uh, than what they were last season when they disappointed. But, yeah, to be the number one seed in the best defense has been a shocker. Uh, I think Memphis has really surprised me just because they've been so good the last few seasons when John Morant was unavailable. Uh, And this season they've just melted down, um, you know, 10 and 22. They're 
they're not going to be a, a playoff viable team this year. Um, and yeah, out East, uh, yeah. Orlando is the number four seed. I think they are probably the biggest surprise out there. They have looked phenomenal. Yeah. It's been fun as a magic fan, a long suffering magic fan. No question about it. All right. Leave us with this. The trade deadline, I believe what February 6th, somewhere in that ballpark. So we're just over a month away. We saw the trade between Toronto and New York, uh, this past weekend. You mentioned Pascal Siakam. Will he be on the move? Any other big names, Zach? I know we've talked about Zach Levine a little bit in Chicago, although I think he's had some injury problems, which may complicate that. Any other big moves that potentially will get made in the next month or so? Yeah, I think Levine is going to be one. Siakam is going to be one. Um, I, I, I'm interested to see if the Jazz um, end up selling uh, maybe Lowry Markinen, uh, who is somebody that was not previously available. Um you know, the Jazz have said that he will be available. Uh, maybe if they kind of move towards an even bigger rebuild. Um, I think the Knicks, we will probably see some more moves from them. Uh, they're without a starting center right now. Obviously, they lost Mitchell Robinson. Uh, so I'm interested to see if they add another high-quality big uh, to just kind of shore up that roster. Um, and I think, uh, you know, if I had to guess, I'd say out west, uh, I'd be looking at Sacramento and the Lakers as buyers at the trade deadline. I think the Lakers have really disappointed here since the in-season tournament. Um, and we're seeing once again that LeBron and Anthony Davis do need some help, and they, they really do need to make some additional moves here. Zach, give yourself a little bit of love, man, for people that hear you on my show every month or so. Where can they read your material? Where can they find you? What can they expect over at Roto World? Yeah, so um, I cover uh, fantasy basketball over at Roto World. Um, you can find that at rotoworld.com. Uh, every Friday, I do have a fantasy basketball column, uh, you know, highlighting the waiver wire ads of the week. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Zach the Monster. Zach Hanchu of Roto World, one of our guys when it comes to the National Basketball Association. Zach, really appreciate it, man. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, man. Always a pleasure. And the high school spotlight here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. 2024 is underway. Obviously, high school coaching carousel is spinning right now. And a pleasant surprise for me is one of my buddies, Bobby Ramsey, back in the Duval County public school system, the Jackson Tigers, brand new head football coach. And Coach Ramsey joins us here on 1010XL. Coach, congratulations on the new job. Oh, thanks a lot, man. It's uh, it's exciting. It's definitely uh, you know, a great place, a lot of opportunity, a lot of tradition. Um, you know, good players, great administration. So, uh, you know, a lot of positives right now. Yeah, tell us about it. How did it come together? Obviously, you were at Uli with Derrick Henry. I'm not sure if you've ever heard that before. And then you won a state <laughs> yeah. championship at Mandarin with Carson Beck. I know you haven't heard that one either. And then you <laughs> went to Impact Christian for a couple of years. And to be honest with you, Coach, I was kind of surprised when I saw you and Jackson take us through the process. Um, well, you know, um, a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, like like I told the kids at, at Impact, uh, I think initially it was just like not, not fun adult stuff, you know, uh, when you start talking about state system, retirement, um, you know, kind of things like that. Um, you know, things that you just kind of decisions you have to make in, in, in the best interest of your family. Um, and then, um, you know, speaking with start having some conversations with coach Sullivan, um, who, you know, I've always 
had a lot of respect for. And, uh, you know, he's been a, a you know, a mentor and, a, and someone who I've always, uh, you know, looked to for, for advice. And we started kind of talking about the situation. So, um, it was really a combination of, of those two things. Um, and, um, you know, to see the opportunity, uh, to hear c- combined with, again, you know, some things that, uh, j- just were, were in, in the best interest of what I felt like for, for my family, uh, you know, uh, moving forward, um, you know, impacts, you know, got great people there and, um, you know, super appreciative of the opportunity that they gave me and, um, you, you know, nothing but, um, you know, great, uh, gr- you know, great experiences over there, um, you know, starting that program off and, and they're in, they're in a good position. So, um, you know, I felt, I felt like, uh, it was the right thing to do and the right move to make. Bobby Ramsey, the brand new head coach at Jackson High School. Coach Main Street, obviously a great tradition out there with what Kevin Sullivan accomplished. Christopher Foy came in there in a short amount of time and certainly turned the program back around. Now you're going to inherit Jackson, and certainly this is old hat to you. I mean, from Uly to Mandarin to Impact, you know what it's like to build programs up or certainly build them back up. What have the first couple of weeks on the job been like for you? Um, well, you, you know, getting in at the end of the semester, um, it's, it's been, uh, you're, you don't, you don't have, it's, it's been good in the sense that, you know, the, the last couple times, um, you know, I got there late at the end of the school year, the beginning of the summer. So you're really, you're really playing catch up and, um, you know, the opportunity to get in where, you know, you're going to have a whole semester, uh, to, to, you know, build the relationships, um, you know, in, install your, your program get your weight room up and running, which I think is always, the, the, you know, first and foremost, my main concern is, uh, you know, getting the, the, the strength training and the athlete development piece going. Um, so opportunity to kind of, you know, have the, this break to really plan the best way to do things and uh, meet as many people as possible, learn the logistics and layout of the, of the school and, and the facility. Um, I, I think that's, that's something that I, I'm, I'm, I'm appreciating because I didn't really have that opportunity uh, I did a Yuli, um, you know, I got there in February of that year, so I had some time. So uh, just a little bit more time to, to, to get yourself settled and really take inventory of everything. Bobby Ramsey, the head coach of Jackson. Obviously, Kevin Sullivan knows the culture out there. He built that program into a powerhouse there in the uh, mid to late 90s, the early 2000s, certainly. Uh, what have your conversations been like with Sully during this process? I mean, they've been great. You know, um, he's he's definitely pointing me in the right direction on a lot of things, and um, you know, has has uh, you know given me based on his experiences and, and and everything that worked for him. You know, uh, shared a lot of things that that I think have have started to help and will help. Um, you know, he has tremendous passion uh, for this school and this football program. He wants to be it successful, see it be successful. Um, you know, obviously, Coach Floyd did did a great job when he was here. Um, so th- there's a, a, a past blueprint and, and a recent blueprint, um, of, of how to be successful. And, um, you know, I think when you see that as a coach, you always want to look at, you know, make sure that, that, you know, there, there's an opportunity for success. And I think, uh, you know, coach, uh, definitely has, has laid out for me, um, you know, just what those, what that opportunity is. There's not a lot of coaches around Duval County with state championship rings on their hands. You're one of them. And there are certain hires in the coaching community that make people just kind of stop and look. And I got a couple of texts, actually, when you were named the Jackson coach. I mean, that's a big deal for that program. And I'm not, you know, you're not saying this. I'm saying this for you. I mean, that's a that's a good hire, it appears, for Jackson. Can you sense the 
the excitement about you and the staff you're going to bring there and what that may do for Jackson football? Um, you know, I, I really, you just kind of so caught up in the day to day of what you got to do and, and, uh, you know, the challenge in front of you, I, I don't, um, I, I do think people are, are, I do get a sense of, you know, the, I think every time, anytime a coach comes in, there's, there is a level of, 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 you know, that kind of the, the new factor or whatnot. Um, I do think that wears off pretty quick once you start getting to work. Um, so I, I don't really, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm flattered. Um, and, and humbled if, 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 if you know, people are, are, are excited about, um, you know, me coming. Um, but it's also a situation where, you, you know, you got to go do the work. And, uh, um, you know, you, you know that, that, that type of stuff isn't going to help you get first downs or help you get kids to college or anything like that. Um, you know, you got to get in there and, um, and, and do the work. So um, it is, it is, it is nice. It's all, I think it's, it's always nice. Um, you know, when people are happy, um, that, that you're coming somewhere. Um, but, uh, at the same time, um, you know, you also gotta, you also gotta face the reality of what's in front of you and, and get to work. And, and those good vibes are great. And, um, you know, I'm again, humbled and appreciative, appreciative of them, but, um, it still doesn't change the fact that, that you have to do the work and, uh, you know, you can't skip a step. Bobby Ramsey of Jackson. That'll take a while for me to get used to. I'll work on it over the next couple of months. Coach, as we wrap up, you mentioned get to work. What's next? What's on the agenda heading into spring ball here in a couple of months? Well, uh, you know, obviously you got to get the, the, the weight program up and running. Um, you know, got to got to get the kids, um, you know, organize your recruiting and make sure that, uh, you know, you have everything for when the coaches start coming through in January because, that's a big time of year. Uh, you know, the recruiting calendar, everything happens basically five months earlier than it used to because early signing day. So get organized there, um, you know, build the relationships with the faculty, build the relationships in the community, get the coaching staff together, uh, put your schedule together, um, you know, and then start generally working on your schematics, your offense, defense, you know, what you're going to look like as you get, you know, see what you have. I think anytime you go in somewhere, you got to look at what the, the players you have and, um, adapt your 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 schematics to, to what you're going to do, um, and uh, and just start teaching. Start teaching players, um, you know, how to develop their bodies, how to win, how to become a team. Uh, so there, there's there's a ton that has to happen. Fundraising will go on in the off season. So um, you know, it's 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 definitely a hit the ground running. And um, you know, I think you just have to focus on what I can do on you know January 2nd, 2024 to make us a better football program and then do it the next day. Um, and then, uh, you know, before you know it though, you'll bat an eye and, uh, and spring football will be here. And then, um, you know, pretty quick, you're going to be playing games in the fall. So, um, you know, you have a lot of time, but you don't have a lot of time. Bobby Ramsey, the brand new head coach at Jackson from Uly to Mandarin to impact Christian and now back with the Jackson Tigers coach. Congratulations. We'll be talking later this off season. I appreciate you. Thanks a lot, man. And, uh, you know, definitely pay attention to Main Street because uh, we're going to do some great things. We're excited. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville as the high school spotlight rolls on. The month of January is arrived. Teams are still in the weight room getting ready. Obviously, spring ball still a couple of months away. But some awards are being handed out for last football season, and one of the big ones is the Jaguar High School Coach of the Year, which goes down to St. John's County to my friend Brian Braddock, the head coach at St. Augustine High School, and he joins us here on 1010XL. Coach, congratulations. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Um, 
you know, really, really cool acknowledgement and uh, just really uh, reinforces how grateful I am for an awesome staff of uh, coaches and a, a truly special group of uh, young men that are uh, that are great kids and, and really good football players. It was an absolutely terrific season for St. Augustine. We'll get into that in a moment. But, Coach, in our listening area, right, there's 60-plus coaches that could have won this award. The Jaguars choose one coach a year, and you get the nod. You get tickets to the Super Bowl, which is incredible. We'll get to that in a moment as well. But when you found out that you were the Jaguar High School Coach of the Year, I mean – what does that do for you? Uh, it, it's humbling. Um, just I was, I was really appreciative um, and grateful uh, for that acknowledgement. And, um, you know, it's certainly meaningful um, to have, you know, people uh, appreciate um, the, the, the job that you're doing. But like I said, it's um, it's really emblematic of a, of a greater group of people working really hard and doing a lot of great things with uh, – you know, all the way from our community to our administration to, to everybody that supports us. And then, of course, at the end of the day, it comes down to the kids that are playing the game. So they, they make us look really good uh, when they're successful. And I'm, I'm just fortunate to have uh, a really good group of guys. You've had a couple of weeks now since your season ended. I mean, what a run for you guys. 13 consecutive wins, beating some unbelievably good teams to get to the state championship game. Obviously, it, it didn't go your way at the very end there against Daytona Beach Mainland. But when you look back on the 2023 season, Coach, what are your biggest takeaways? Yeah, um, you know, it, it was it's, it's the best team that I've ever uh, been around certainly as a head coach in terms of just all around everything that goes into the experience of, of being a high school coach. Um, we've got awesome kids. They're great kids. I mean, we got our, 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 from our best players to our scout guys. I mean, these are guys that I would let watch my kids, um, that I trust. Uh, they're really good students. Um, you know, I think last time we had a end of a semester last year, we had 62 of our 105 kids or 3.0 or higher, which, which at our place is a, is a really big accomplishment for our young men. Um, yeah, I'm just really everything in general. It's just it, from, from the perspective of a coach, it's an easy team and uh, that's very, very rare and that's very special. So I'm grateful to get to coach these guys. Brian Braddock, the head coach of St. Augustine. You know, it's interesting. Obviously you got some ridiculously good seniors that you're going to have to replace and some great young men, as you mentioned, but you talk to people that cover high school football in the area. And I'm not sure how much of this you heard coach, but what I heard was St. Augustine might have even been a year ahead of where people thought. The thought was your 24 team may be the best team there. Now, that's going to be hard to replicate what 23 did, but certainly a lot of expectations on the kids coming back in 24. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's it's easy to, to think that way, and that's fair, you know, especially at the beginning of way back at the beginning of this season, people were looking at our junior class who, who had a, a decent bit of a claim from a recruiting standpoint, but we lost some great football players in our senior class. And I'm grateful, you know, we don't, we don't really point to a, a year, obviously, and I don't think any, anybody would, but I'm um, grateful that our seniors could lead us and, and we could accomplish what we did this year with them and the juniors and even some sophomores, uh, you know, playing pivotal roles. But yeah, you know, it, it, it'll be hard for us to replace guys like Devontae Lyons and Ja'Kai Singleton on defense and Drake Lusk. Um, these are guys that are, you know, Devontae's been carrying the ball for four years and uh, Drake, Ja'Kai, three-year starters. So we certainly have plenty to overcome. Um, we, we, you've got to replace our kicker. That's something that people on the outside don't necessarily look at, but but that's a big deal. Um, 
So a lot of talent coming back, and we're excited, but definitely some holes we're going to have to work hard to fill. A couple more for Brian Braddock, the head coach of St. Augustine. He was named the Jacksonville Jaguar High School Coach of the Year. He gets to go out to the Super Bowl. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Coach, the life of a high school football coach. Your season's been over, what, three weeks or so? I would imagine all eyes are beginning to point towards spring ball as the, the weight training started. How, what's the schedule look like for you guys? Yeah, well, we'll be back in school on Monday, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll jump into our, our off-season, you know, the first couple of weeks after the, the season. We had about a week and a half after our season ended. Uh, our strength coach, Coach Lippo, doing a great job of just getting the kids' bodies back underneath them, um, getting them back, you know, rested up and things like that. But we'll jump into – trying to get bigger and stronger here in uh, January, February, and March. And, uh, you know, for me right now, the big focus is supporting our seniors and doing everything I can to, to, you know, look for opportunities that they have at the next level. We did have a couple guys sign on the early signing day, but we anticipate a few more here in February. So trying to, to get those guys across that proverbial finish line. And then, yeah, the, the 24 teams, they're, they're on the clock now. You know, it's 2024, so it's time to get to work. Las Vegas, the Super Bowl, you get to go out there as being one of the high school coaches of the year. All 32 NFL teams choose one coach from their area. You were the choice of the Jaguars. I know Doug Peterson acknowledged you in a press conference setting that had to be pretty cool, and you get to go to the Super Bowl now. I mean, how how jacked are you for that? That's quite a deal. Oh, it's amazing. Um, I was literally uh, shocked when when they brought the tickets out and or the, you know, the, the two big souvenir tickets and said that I was going to the Super Bowl. And, you know, uh, the, the only hiccup in the whole operation was uh, my two boys realizing that this meant mom and dad were going. <laughs> but, uh, but, but hey, they, they can earn their way. They've got, they've got a lot of years ahead of them. But, no, we're so excited and we're just grateful, um, really humbled that we'll get to go uh, experience that. So it's, it's going to be really cool. And, yeah, the, 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 somebody sent me the, the press conference. I think you guys at 1010XL had actually tweeted it out. And, so that's that's pretty cool, you know. I mean, we're we're high school coaches, and any anything like that is always really really neat. And the Jaguars do such a great job, and, and I'm I'm grateful for how much they invest in local youth sports and high school sports. And look, by the way, it's cool to go to the Super Bowl whenever. I'm not going to say that, but it is in Vegas, Coach. I mean, that's like that's the <laughs> the best, right? Not only are you going to the Super Bowl, but you get to go to Las Vegas on top of it. Yeah, uh, my wife and I have never been, so. Um, you know, this will be a this will be an awesome trip. You know, like you said, you know, even even outside of the Super Bowl. So, we're very very cool or very very excited. It's going to be a cool experience, and uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that that everybody says you got to do at least once. And uh, who knows, maybe maybe we'll fall in love with the city, and it'll be something we do more in the future. Brian Braddock, the Jacksonville Jaguar High School Football Coach of the Year of the St. Augustine Yellow Jackets, thirteen and one, a terrific year for St. Augustine, and he's on his way out to the Super Bowl next month. Coach, congratulations, and we'll be talking this off season. Hey, thanks. Appreciate it a lot. Appreciate everything you guys do for high school sports. So, happy New Year. And thank you to Brian Braddock, the Jaguars High School Coach of the Year from St. Augustine High School for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. And I hope he and his wife have an absolutely terrific time heading out to Las Vegas to the Super Bowl. Again, he got those tickets for being the Jaguar High School 
Football Coach of the Year. Big takeaway of the evening here on Hacker After Dark. Well, there's really two. One in college. You got to figure out, college football, what you want these bowl games to be, particularly when the 12-team playoff begins next year. The Orange Bowl was not a college football game. It was a glorified scrimmage between a varsity and what turned out to be a junior varsity team with Florida State being without upwards of 30 players from their regular season team here in 2023. It was an embarrassment. It was a bad day for college football. I felt bad for those Florida State kids that had to be without 30 of their teammates. They still went out there and competed, but it wasn't a football game. It it was awful, and Kirby Smart, the Georgia coach, said it best. The college football needs to figure out what they want these bowl games to be to avoid situations like we had in Miami this past weekend. Big Jaguar takeaway is they did what they needed to do. They had to beat Carolina. They turned out to beat them in dominating fashion, which is even better. But they had to win the game. They did, and they now set up a win-or-go-home scenario. You either win the AFC South or more than likely your season comes to an end coming up this weekend in Nashville against the Tennessee Titans. Well, that'll just about do it. It has been a very, very busy Tuesday night, our late-night show here on 1010XL. We certainly appreciate you guys for hanging out with us this evening. We have a ton of people to thank. Thank you to Brian Braddock, the head coach of St. Augustine High School. Thank you to Bobby Ramsey, the brand-new head coach of Jackson High School. Of course, Bobby Ramsey was at Uly with Derrick Henry. He won a state championship at Mandarin. Most recently, he was at Impact Christian, and he now takes over on Main Street with the Jackson Tigers, and we appreciate Coach Ramsey for joining us tonight. Thank you to my friend Zach Hanshu, who covers the NBA for Roto World. Always love talking about the association with my guy Zach Hanshu. And back in our number one, Brenton Beard. You see him locally on First Coast News. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark as we broke down the college football semifinals. What were two great games? Michigan over Alabama in overtime. Washington, a big win over Texas, and certainly talked about that debacle that was the Orange Bowl. And Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union joined us in hour number one as we looked back on the Jaguars and the Panthers and previewed the big one in Nashville on Sunday between the Jaguars and their arch rival, the Tennessee Titans. Now, we will be back tomorrow night on a Wednesday, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer. Tonight, Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for staying up late with us on a Tuesday night here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday night, and we will talk to you again tomorrow night beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.